Today we have this beautiful passage in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that. Philippians 4, verses 5, 6, and 7. Follow along as I read. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades. So quick reminder, just before today's passage, Paul has asked two women in the church who are in a dispute with each other to work it out, to live in harmony, to have the same mind as they live in a community together. And then he begins this series of statements that began in verse 4, telling them what they should be pursuing in their life. As always, not as a means to gain salvation or earn salvation, but rather what we are to pursue as a result of Christ giving us the gift of faith. And the first thing he said that we looked at last week was rejoice in the Lord always. Like I said, we saw the details of that last week. This week, beginning in verse 5, we're going to get to another one of these things. Verse 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This word translated in the ESV, if that's what you've got, that's what I've been reading from, really is not an easy word to translate. And so if you've got another translation, you might see that it says gentleness or something along those lines. This is the same Greek word from 1 Timothy 3.3, which is uh, listed as one of the requirements for any men who seek to be elders within the church. It says, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. And so now as we seek to understand this this letter, we must always remember that this church in Philippi is constantly facing persecutions. And so when persecution comes, the natural expectation is that people are going to retaliate because horrible things are being done to them, and our natural reaction is always to want to retaliate in some way. And so the call here is, rather than retaliate, seek to be reasonable. Respond with this gentleness. See, the reputation that God desires for his church to have is gentleness. No matter what's going on around us, to respond with this gentleness. In a sense, this is us working to live in a way that is best for everyone in the church, not just ourselves, not just what we individually want and desire, but for everyone. Think about the reputation Christians unfortunately have today because of groups like Westboro Baptist and Topeka. They're a group that are known for being hateful not gentle, and it would not be a strange thing for us to say to them, you are being unreasonable. And now, Westboro Baptist is an extreme example. It's one that you've seen in the news over and over again. What we need to seek in our lives, though, is to also have this reasonableness, for it to be a characteristic of our interaction with others, both outside the church and within the church as we interact with one another, Uh, never compromising on the truth of the Scripture, but to be gentle in the way that we communicate that truth. See, it's, it's not difficult for us to think of examples of, of people who have been unreasonable with us. Someone who may be seeking to argue or who only takes into account what's best for themselves in any given situation. It's easy for us to see that and think, you are being unreasonable. You see, as humans, we have this natural disposition to be unreasonable. 
to be rough with our words, to seek what's best for us with little concern for what is best for others. And so how do we engage in this battle against this? One simple way is to make our conversations more gentle and more reasonable is to stop and to listen to the people we are engaging with. I know that's profound advice, right? Just listen. But think about it. Uh, Too often we are quick to speak and and slow to listen. And in James 1.19, we are encouraged to practice the exact opposite of that. There it says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The more you understand why someone thinks the way they think or believe, the better you're going to be able to respond with gentleness as you seek to point them to a biblical understanding of whatever it is you're discussing. Uh, Which is why when someone tells you, God does not exist, the best response is not, you are a stupid idiot and you're going to hell. That is not a good response. A better response is something gentle, something reasonable, something along the lines of, Okay, I'd love to hear why you think that, or can I tell you why I believe God does exist? Our text then has this short statement that says, the Lord is at hand. Simply put, God is near. Yes, Jesus is going to return. But it's also this much-needed reminder to us that we're not alone. This is an important reality as we look at verse 6, and we see that what it's encouraging us to. It's a reminder which... Really, the Israelites were given back in Deuteronomy 31.8, where it says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So we look at Philippians 4.6. Look at it with me if you've still got it open there. This is one of those verses that is good to memorize. It's a God-given weapon against this daily battle of anxiety that we're going to face. It reads, Do not be anxious about anything, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So let's break this down a little bit. First it says, do not be anxious about anything. I think there are two questions to understand if we're going to understand that. First of all, what is anxiety? The best answer I've ever heard, we all have some idea, but the best definition I've ever heard is from John Piper who says, anxiety is an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. You want an A in class. Anxiety is that feeling that you will not get the A and everything that might come as a result of that. Or you want a promotion at work. Anxiety is that fear that that they're going to pursue someone else for that position or, or they simply won't desire you for that. You want a relationship with someone. Anxiety is that fear that for some reason this relationship will not work out. It's that feeling that that many of you might be having this week as you think about Thanksgiving coming up and the interaction with extended families and what are they going to think about you? What are they going to say? You're you're worried about how this interaction is going to go. Anxiety is that feeling of stress, of irritableness, of frustration at the threat of being denied something you believe you need or deeply want. It's in one way or another imagining our futures to be a disaster and scrambling to figure out how to change that. At the most basic level, anxiety is the opposite of of peace. The second question we need to answer is, why does God care if we're anxious? What does it matter? Let me suggest two reasons. The first, Proverbs 12.25 tells us, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. It is difficult to carry a heavy object. 
The longer we carry it, the more it wears us out. When we carry our anxieties, it it weighs us down, it wears us out, it strips us of joy and satisfaction in our Savior. God desires us to be satisfied in Him. And anxiety is often a sign that we're not. The second reason that God cares about our anxieties is that this is a tangible sign of our faith being weak. Because it means we lack this true understanding of who God really is. Of his power, of his sovereignty, of his love for us. I've shared about my own anxieties to many of you before. In 2002, I graduated from college and was about to to marry Laura. And I remember all the changes in life had me stressed out. I I feared about what we're going to do next. And I feared about how I was going to be able to provide for her. And and I was anxious about the future. And and one morning, a couple of weeks before our wedding, after watching a World Cup game at 3 a.m. because it was across the world, I felt this pain down my left arm. And I felt this pain in my chest. And I remember calling to my dad and I told him what was going on. And we both thought, that's a heart attack. And as we rushed to the hospital, I thought I was going to die at any moment really, really believed I was going to die at any moment. And I I was so afraid in that moment because I wasn't sure that God existed. I wasn't sure that Jesus really saved me from my sin. And suddenly it really mattered. And in fact, suddenly nothing else besides this one reality mattered. At the hospital, they did an EKG and and other tests, and they told me, you're not having a heart attack, you're having a, a panic attack. You're stressed. So, of course, I I left anxious that they must have diagnosed me wrong because that's how I think through these things. But the beautiful thing was it set into motion the search for truth, a search that ended with a stronger faith in the gospel, a faith that took away the fear of dying for me and a faith that took away the fear of of living, really. So when we, we see in this text that God desires us to not be anxious. It's because he he wants the truth of the gospel to melt away the worries that we have. The Philippians, they had good reason to be anxious. They faced internal threats to their unity constantly. And they faced external threats to their unity constantly. Threats to their actual existence, their very life. And to a church in that context, what does God tell them? What's verse 6 say? It says, do not be anxious about anything. Should you be anxious about your marriage? No. Should you be anxious about your children? No. Should you be anxious about your grade in economics? No. What about what people are going to be thinking about you or saying about you as you engage this this week on, on Thanksgiving? Should you be anxious about how you're going to pay your bills in two months? No. This is this all-encompassing statement, do not be anxious about anything. And I want you to understand that this battle against anxiety must be waged daily. We must bring our anxieties to God again and again and again. We can't just do it today and then move on to other things. I mentioned my old anxieties, but I still have them. This is one of my big struggles. I am naturally an anxious person. Every time I I go to a new dentist, they tell me, from your teeth, I can tell you are a very stressed out individual. 
I wake up every day with new anxieties that really need to be brought to God. Anxious about church-related stuff and money and decision-making. Am I a good husband or father? Uh, How do you help people with this issue or that issue? What do people think of me? All these issues that can come up over and over again. And so, believe me, when I come to a text like this, it is life-giving to me. And I want you to understand it. I I want it to be life-giving to you. So exactly, how does God in his word here tell us that we should deal with our anxieties? It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. That's an action plan. An action plan that unfortunately often sounds like a joke to us. Because we think we have better action plans. We think if I'm anxious because... I fear I won't get a promotion at work. The real solution that I need to be doing is to work 24 hours a day until I get what I want. And you know what? That might result in your getting the promotion. But that will not solve your anxiety. You'll be anxious about the next promotion or about keeping that promotion. And the rest of your life is going to have this same suffering. So God's plan of action, though, is simple prayer. This is the call to exercise the faith that God has given you. And you see, the, the basis of a prayer, we've got to understand this, the basis of prayer is the reality that God is there. Because prayer is nothing if God is nothing. That's why it takes God-given faith to pray. Faith to believe He is there hearing us and cares what we are saying. The reason that that people call 911 is that they believe there really is someone on the other end of that line who hears us and who is able to offer real assistance to what we are calling for. And I think that's, that's why our lack of prayer is often a sign of our lack of faith. Now, I don't tell you this as a discouragement. Uh, But I tell you so that I can remind you that God really does hear your prayers. God really does care what you have to say to him. Prayer is, in fact, a great action plan as we battle anxiety. Notice also that nowhere in this text does it say that prayer will necessarily fix your problem. It says prayer will fix the anxiety. And this is where our Heavenly Father knows what we need more than what we think we need. Also notice, and this is important, it doesn't say pray and do nothing. Are you worried about paying bills next month? Take it to God in prayer. Let go of that anxiety. Trust God will provide for you, but also go get a job. You may have noticed our our text makes a distinction between prayer and supplication. Prayer is any communication with God, anything at all. You might say, God, I saw a bird eat an M&M yesterday. That's weird, but it's prayer. Supplication, on the other hand, is a, a request for some sort of action from God. God, please help me to trust you, that you will provide what our family needs, or please provide in the way that we do need. And so I want to read to you 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 to help you understand why we cast our anxieties on God. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Christian, that last little bit of truth is very important. I mean, do you understand that? It says that we cast our anxieties on God 
because he cares for us. Often our problem with prayer and the reason that we carry our anxieties is that we have failed to know that thing. We have failed to believe that God really cares for us. And so settle that right now in your mind. God sent Jesus because he cares for you. Jesus died on the cross because he cares for you. God is preparing a place in eternity because he cares for you. And God wants to hear your anxieties because he cares for you. See, you are a legitimate child of God, and you are a legitimate child of God because he cares for you. Uh, Do you understand what it really means to be a a child of God? And and I asked that. I, I didn't fully understand that until I became a parent. When When your child comes to you with a problem, you want to hear it. You want to fix it. Sometimes our children will get into a dispute in another room or outside, and and we see this happening. They get frustrated, and we hear, we see how they respond in uh, in some way in anger, revenge. And and we get involved at that moment, and almost always we say, "Why, why didn't you come to me? Yeah, talk to them. Try to make peace, but come to us. We want to help you. Then this is because we're bigger. We have more power. We have more knowledge. We care and we can help. All that worry, that sinful response, that didn't need to happen. You get that? Go to God with your anxiety. When we rightly understand it, prayer is this loving embrace of our Heavenly Father. You might have also noticed in our text, there's this qualifying phrase with Thanksgiving, which works out nice since Thanksgiving is this Thursday. This phrase, it's a reminder that in our prayer, we should remember what God has already done in our lives. Uh, This serves to build our our confidence in what God can do. You've seen people interact asking for things, and there is a massive difference between I want more ice cream and thank you for dessert, may I have some more. (laughs) One comes with complaints of how the giver has failed us, and the other comes with praise for how good the giver has already been. I have a good friend in Dallas named George who often talks about how God's faithfulness in the past relates to his faithfulness in the future. He says, God's faithfulness to you in the past is both a model and a promise of his faithfulness to you in the future. Though he's too creative to do the same thing twice. The last phrase in verse 6 reads, Let your requests be known to God. This is where we pour out our hearts to our Heavenly Father. This is where we give requests for for what we need and requests for what others need. It's how we put into practice Psalm 55, 22, which says, Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain you. If I could encourage you in your prayers, it would be to pray with more expectation. I think often as as Reformed people, uh, we tend to pray with this subtext that God does what he wants to do, and he doesn't really care what my prayers are. In the first part of that's true. God does whatever he pleases, but what we've seen over and over is that what pleases him is, is us, as his children, coming to him in prayer. Can you remember as a, a child at Christmas time or around your birthday asking your parents for some particular gift, something you saw in a, a catalog or somewhere, and, and you would ask them with this real hope that they would get this gift for you? We need to get back to that mentality in our prayer life. Yes, God might not give you what you ask for, and if he doesn't, it's for your own good. 
but go pleading earnestly, expectantly. Andrew Murray, who was a minister a little more than 100 years ago, has been helpful in, in how we can pray more earnestly to God. He points out that there are really two types of prayer. The prayer of submission. These are requests that we make where uh, we can't possibly know what the will of God is for this situation. Things like, God, would you make that girl to love me? God, would you give me this job that I've applied for? We should pray earnestly for those types of things, hoping and asking for wisdom, but also knowing that God may or may not grant what we desire to happen. And then there's another type of prayers, prayers that he calls prayers of faith. And these are requests for things that we know are, in fact, absolutely his will. And we know these are absolutely the will of God because he has said so clearly in scriptures. Requests for sexual purity or humility or compassion towards others or for boldness to proclaim the gospel. These we can and we should ask for with a real expectation that God will answer us and give. So where does that leave the anxieties that we are to destroy through prayer in our text today? If your anxiety is about getting a particular job, the truth is you may or you may not get it. God may fulfill your request. God may not fill your request, at least not in the way that you desire it. Robert Raymond, speaking of prayer, says, Prayer is not the means by which we get from God what we want. Rather, prayer is the means God uses to give us what he wants. Verse 7, then, we become aware of what God wishes to give us. Look at it as we read it again. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This tells us the results of taking everything to God in prayer. Peace. We may desire the job, but what our Heavenly Father knows we need is peace. And the reason that this peace surpasses All understanding is that the expected result of living in a world that is full of sin is absolutely anxiety. That's what can be expected. Uh, Most of us can attest to that, that we live with more feelings of anxiety than we do feelings of peace in our life. What our text makes crystal clear is that our lives should be characterized with real peace. And the means that God has given us to receive peace is prayer. What we know all too well is that If our minds are not filled with prayer, they will fill themselves with temptations, with bitterness, with fears, and and yes, certainly with anxieties. Now, again, none of this should make you feel guilty for not praying. In fact, it, it should be more like remembering a feature on your phone that would make your life more peaceful if you could remember to use it, which, of course, really makes too little of prayer to compare it to that. I hope this text leads you to realize that when you were given faith in Christ, you were adopted into an amazing family with an amazing Heavenly Father who desires you to bring Him your anxieties, to bring them like heavy objects being handed over so that He can carry them and give you peace. I want to close with a a quirky quote from Martin Luther as he speaks about his favorite preacher, a preacher who helps him to understand that God will provide for us. He says, I have one preacher that I love better than any other. It is my little Robin who preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs upon the windowsill, especially at night. 
He hops onto the sill when he wants his supply, and he takes as much as he desires to satisfy his need. From there, he always hops to a little tree close by and lifts up his voice to God and sings his carol of praise and gratitude. He tucks his little head under his wings, and he goes fast asleep to leave tomorrow to look after itself. He is the best preacher I have on earth. Church, may we learn that we are children of the most powerful Father in all of existence, God. He loves us. He will provide for us. And the heavy load of our anxieties are are very light to Him. And so take it to Him in prayer and, and rest in His loving arms.